0: Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking to members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and today my guest is Nick Kalaviak, an alum in the class of 2018 who was a double major in history and politics and government. To practice appropriate social distancing, Nick and I have called into this interview so if the audio quality sounds a little different than what you're used to, that's why. As always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Mooneyard Studio. Here's Nick. Nick, good morning. Good morning. I want to kick things off by just asking you to um, kind of situate yourself in the world for our listeners in whatever way that feels like it makes sense to you. Who are you? What are you doing? Where are you at in your life now? What are you up to? Cool. Yeah.
1: Um, So I am currently a graduate student at Georgetown University. I'm in the School of Foreign Service um, doing a master's in Eurasian, Russian, and East European Studies. So I live in D.C. Um, I work at Georgetown as well for um, the Center for Eurasian, Russian, and East European Studies there. So I'm very sort of enmeshed in um, all that's happening in the foreign policy world directed at Eastern Europe um, in D.C. right now. At this particular moment in time, I'm at my parents' house in Northern California doing school remotely and work remotely. Um, but ideally I'll be back in DC sometime soon. Um, so it's, I'm I'm just like everyone else right now trying to navigate the, the uncertainty of these months.
0: Sure. Um, when you say foreign policy focused on Eastern Europe, there's one very big, prominent, relevant player that comes to my mind. Is a lot of that Russia or is what you are doing and thinking about and spending your time on much more comprehensive than that?
1: Um, Yeah, so my program itself is predominantly Russia-focused. It was sort of created out of the um, Cold War need for what was then called Soviet studies. Um, So there's definitely a, Russia's the main country that we study. Um, That being said, I don't focus on Russia as much because my linguistic background is in Polish and um, now Bosnian, Serbian, Croatian. So I'm doing much more work on East Central Europe and the Western Balkans. Um, That's somewhat of an I'm something of an outlier within the program, though, because people are mostly focused on Russia, Central Asia,
0: and what is happening in the areas of the world that you're interested in and are studying.
1: Gosh, well, um, you su- su-
0: summarize three to five countries in a minute or less, Nick.
1: <laughs> okay, I I just had to do this for a newsletter, actually. Um, Excellent. So we can start with Hungary. Um, Great. Hungary has um, The parliament has just passed a bit of legislation that allows um, basically the state of emergency as related to the COVID crisis to be extended indefinitely. Um, It also includes um, penalties for journalists who are accused of publishing false fake news about coronavirus that can very easily be exploited by by the government. So it's a, it's convenient, one could say. Um, <laughs> so that's what's happening in Hungary. That's a very brief overview, um, but it's basically, some people are calling it the COVID coup. Hmm. Um, let's see, Poland, Poland has an election, a presidential election scheduled for May 10th. Um, the yes. incumbent is currently pulling out all the stops to keep it um, scheduled as... Um, as it initially was that has involved not declaring a state of emergency because doing so would necessitate, um, a deferral of the election. Russia has, um, they say they've tested an absurd amount of people. Their positive test rate is about 0.5% right now. <laughs> and pneumonia cases are way up, particularly in Moscow. So, um, there's not much faith in uh, the statistics coming out of Russia right now. So now no one is particularly sure what the situation is there other than it's likely worse than um, current reporting suggests. That's like a very brief COVID overview. There's lots of other stuff, but um, I can't summarize two, uh, two years of grad school work and, um, <laughs> a 2 minute podcast answer
0: That was pretty smooth though. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Uh, well done, Georgetown.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um pre COVID-19 because and I I know that even now we're recording in early April, that's a sort of an insane feeling thing to say. But what were the kinds of things you were doing in your program when you were physically at Georgetown? Because I imagine But as with any education, like at Puget Sound, a lot of what you're getting out of it is are those sort of qualitative components beyond the going to class, writing papers parts.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, beyond classwork and such, um, my work for the program involved coordinating events and guest speakers Mm -hmm. coming to Georgetown. So I was working with... uh, Jill Doherty, who is uh, the former head of CNN's Moscow bureau, um, who's a Centennial Fellow at the the at Georgetown now, I was working with her to bring in um, mostly ex ambassadors to Russia and DC-based journalists mm. who are forced to cover Russia and Ukraine, sort of as this was back when like impeachment was still a big thing. No, no sure. one talks about impeachment anymore, but. <laughs> There was a time when that was the (laughs) hot topic. Um, Anyway, we ran events basically trying to bring DC journalists up to snuff on the situation in Russia and Ukraine so that they could Mm. be better informed in their reporting on um, sort of the, the complications of um, the current presidential administration's relationships with those areas. Um, So, in that, I got to um, yeah, sit in on a lot of really interesting lectures and coordinate between very um, interesting, influential people. Um, and so part, I think that if we think about sort of the out-of-classroom learning experiences, opportunities, much of that just has been exposure and getting to meet people and talk to people with real influence who are just like anyone else. They're just people. Um, And more often than not, they've been very, very willing to share their time and share insights, knowledge. Um, So that's that's sort of what life was like.
0: (laughs) Uh, Do any of of those folks stand out as having been particularly interesting or particularly um, striking? I, I realize you're probably picking from a starting lineup across the board
1: yeah um well i mean i didn't i'll talk maybe about something that i didn't work with but um, ambassador marie ivanovich was on campus um and
0: a familiar name probably to many people now
1: yeah yeah um just as a refresher she was um the ex-us ambassador to ukraine who was forced out in 2019 um and this was her first sort of post-impeachment public um, event. And the audience was just packed with ex-ambassadors. The, whole first, the first two rows were ex-State Department people. Um, and the sort of humanness of the whole event and the... Um, it, it very much felt like just one person being appreciated by... A row of colleagues, and it wasn't necessarily a you know this is these are diplomats um, supporting one another, but just people as um, friends and individuals who cared about their coworker. Um, that sort of dynamic really shone through, um, and was just it was so great to be a part of that. They also mm-hmm. gave her a a chair as a prize, <laughs> they,
0: like an armchair.
1: Yeah, they were. Sort of making fun of her for having remodeled her house this past year, <laughs> so like picking the worst possible time it <laughs> could have. And then um, they gave her the chair she was sitting in on stage. <laughs> you know?
0: That's uh, delightful. <laughs> it was very
1: fun. Very fun.
0: For most people who pursue this degree or work in this program in the ways that you're doing, um, why do they do that? What do they hope that the outcomes will be? Do, do most of your peers want to be diplomats?
1: Um, some definitely diplomats. There's, we also have a significant international um, student mm. body. So those people are more um, obviously, they're either going to go back and work in their, their home countries or stay in the US and work in the private sector. So there's sure. uh, definitely a mixture, I would say, of public and private sector stuff um the one thing georgetown is not um sort of churning out is people who are going on to be academics the program Mm -hmm. is very sort of professionally focused um and it's given all the connections um the program has in dc it's very focused like you said either on the state department um other branches of the government or think tanks um, consulting firms that sort of is, stuff
0: is that why you picked this program is that kind of where you see yourself heading or maybe saw yourself heading and that's evolved
1: um i think yes and no so i i chose it partially because it's very different than what UPS was uh the the focus that Um, professors and students at UPS have on self-reflection and self-knowledge and like personal growth. Um, Georgetown is not that. Um, It's very much a, you get in, you get cranked out into a Mm -hmm. sort of a establishment job, we could say. Um, And I sort of, I went because I wanted to experience that and have some, have a new experience in, um, in a higher education um, institution. So that was sort of why I came. And in the time that I've been at Georgetown, I've sort of reflected on how much I miss the, the old UPS <laughs> style. Obviously, when mm. one, one can't go to a liberal arts university their whole life.
0: That uh, is true.
1: <laughs> I wish, I wish it was the case, but um,
0: Disappointing, but true. Yeah,
1: got to move on at some point. Um, so, I think I'm sort of at this point um, trying to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life, and do I want Aren't we to? All? Well, yes, we are. And do, like, do I want to follow what many of my peers are doing? Right. And sort of the easy option. Well, it's not. It's not easy, but the. The set path that exists. Yeah,
0: there are steps and models. And
1: exactly, exactly. Right, do I want to do that? Um, sometimes I, so like being a part of PSO and the outdoor community was a big thing at UPS. And sometimes I wistfully think about dropping out and getting a woofer and leading back. That's a night. wilderness
0: first responder for folks who don't know, like a super intense 80-hour wilderness first aid course. And you need it to do most... Um, professional outdoor leadership jobs.
1: Yes. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Sure. Um, but yeah, but sometimes I think I'll, I'll just drop out and do that and go back to leading outdoor trips. Uh, and likely the the path for me will be somewhere in the middle um, of those two extremes, but I'm, I'm still sort of figuring out what that is.
0: One of the things that I appreciate so much, and maybe this is true for you too, but about the education that I got, that we got at Puget Sound is, um, in part that I think it built my confidence to feel like I could do exactly what you're suggesting. I I think, I think if you had asked me when I was 17 or 18, like, is there any chance that you would get a master's degree and then step off that path and do anything else, whether that's like lead backpacking trips or learn how to make really good sourdough bread or, you know, um, become a potter, any of the things that don't sort of have the conventional trappings of like white collar professional success. Um, I I, I think I would have said no way because I don't think I would have had the confidence that I could make change happen in my own life. Mm, And coming out of my undergraduate education, feeling like I'm empowered to know that I have skills, know that I'm employable and feel confident enough about my ability to succeed that I could make a choice like the one you're describing, thinking about, um, feels in a lot of ways, like, I mean, there are a lot of important things that came out of that degree for me, but that feels like a big one. Um, and we have a peer who I'll allow to remain nameless. (laughs) Um, but he, his degree is in chemistry. Um, and he has, I think for like three or four years since he graduated, sort of switched off between really high-level like chemistry, laboratory science jobs and um, extended months-or-years-long road trips around the continental United States. Um, And now he's in law school. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, exactly. And the idea of having enough confidence in yourself to sort of toggle back and forth and believe that the outcome will still be satisfactory, um, I think for me is not something that I would have had pre-undergrad.
1: Yeah, I I think that that's a really good point. And I, I think that holds true for me as well. Um, I think it holds true for me and it um, holds true for many of my, my role models at UPS, both uh, fellow students, students who are older than me and professors, many of whom um, sort of did not take a direct straight path into academia. Some of them did of course, um, but many didn't as well. So um, I think that's, that's sort of the one of the best parts of a liberal arts education in my mind is sort of um, creating that confidence and, um, yeah, knowledge of the paths that aren't the straight ones because often those are far more rewarding.
0: Speaking of the University of Puget Sound... How did you end up at UPS? Why why did you decide on that institution for your undergraduate degree?
1: It mm-hmm. honestly was a pretty um, haphazard decision. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in Northern California, and um, in high school, my dad and I did a sort of a college road trip through the Northwest, where we started in. Seattle and went down to Portland um Mm -hmm. so UPS was on the way uh (laughs) and so I applied and I think I applied to 10 schools and at the time of my application Puget Sound was probably where I least expected to go um
0: that's true for me too actually
1: yeah it was just sort of a I don't want to say an afterthought but um yeah, like, was it my dream school? No. Um, and then I visited and really loved it. And, um, it just sort of made sense with, um, finances as well. And it, um, yeah, I, I like, don't even remember the moment I made that decision. Mm-hmm. It just sort of was a, um, it gradually seemed like it just made the most sense of all the options I had. And so, here I am now. Uh, I think it, it was very much the perfect place for me at that point in my life. Um, but do I have a like well articulated answer on why? <laughs> I no.
0: Can you like say a little bit more when you say it was the perfect place for you about and kind of what your expectations were, or maybe what your needs were? Did you know? Did you major in the things you thought you were going to major in? What what sort of changed or adapted um, once you got your feet under you in college?
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I mean, academically, I pretty much followed the path I expected myself mm-hmm. to follow. Um, so that was never like history and sort of. International events, we could say, were always um my bread and butter. Um but I think that the areas of most growth for me, and why I say it was um the perfect place were in sort of um community relationships that I managed mm-hmm. to build. Um I think the outdoor community through Puget Sound Outdoors and um the passages leader community, orientation leaders now, those two um, were real catalysts in sort of shaping um, a whole new understanding of how people can relate to one another and support one another um, and um, work together. I mean, I, I think coming into UPS, I was... I, I'm very much an introvert by nature. Um, I'm more than happy sort of going off and doing my own thing. Um, and that was very much sort of how I went through high school and how I sort of expected to keep going through, through college and the rest mm-hmm. of my life, really. Um, but, I mean, I can think of my sophomore year, my first year as a, an orientation leader, I can think of so many people in the um, orientation leader community who sort of showed me it was possible to do both, showed me it was possible to be an introvert and schedule alone time while still forming meaningful connections with a a community and at on like a bilateral individual basis with other people. Um, So I think when I talk about it as the perfect place, it's very much in a, sort of um, social interpersonal um, context. What do bakeries, industrial design, waterproof notebook paper, and investment management for cryptocurrencies have to do with each other? Hi, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. All four of the things I listed are businesses that were founded by entrepreneurial Puget Sound alums, And you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash stories. Now back to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast.
0: When you think about um, the things or experiences that mattered to you in your undergraduate education, um, one of the things that. I think about, and I guess I should say for people listening, um, that we know each other. We were at school at the same time. We were orientation leaders together. So I have some external perspective on, um, your life, which seems now like kind of a presumptuous thing to say. Um, but I think of you as someone who really is involved in a lot of distinct things, um, that, you know, you've been talking about outdoor community and I associate that with you. I also think about the KUPS radio community. Um, I know you did a summer research project. I, um, associate you with the history club, which we'll get to. I want to talk to you about that. Um, but you, you, in a lot of ways feel to me like you epitomize something that has come up on the podcast a lot, which is this idea of students at Puget Sound having, um, like an and list I'm this major and this major and I'm in this organization and I'm in charge of this thing. And I, in sort of a, a organic way, does that feel fair? True? I,
1: I think so. Definitely. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I'm glad you brought up uh KUPS. Um, so I did, I did sports talk radio for three years, which was um, sort of my dream when I was in fifth or sixth grade. Um, and I, I got to live it out on um tacoma 's airwaves so um i mean that and that's i think k u p s is such an interesting um, sort of microcosm of u p s in that it very much attracts um people from every corner of campus mm. um and the just the range of stuff one hears on k u p s is um pretty unparalleled i i think um but yeah i think sort of zooming out a bit the the and list model and the um the opportunity to do this and that and not have one particular activity define um who i was and who anyone else was at puget sound is um again a wonderful thing and something that i feel like I've only appreciated more as I've moved on from UPS. Yeah. Um, and I graduated now nearly two years ago. Um, and pretty much every, every environment I've been in since then has been one. They've all been good, but they, they've all been ones in which one was defined by what they do. You know, at, mm-hmm. at Georgetown right now, I am a Poland person. That's like what I do. Um, uh, grad school is a different a different animal than undergrad, of course. But um, I think UPS was unique in creating the opportunities for that sort of diversity of experience.
0: Um, on the subject of your Sports Talk radio show, I don't know if I've ever said this to you before, but after I graduated, and it was, help me out, like 7 or 8 o'clock a.m. on Friday mornings?
1: I want to say 8 senior Eighth. year after yeah
0: that seems right yours it was your senior year I would get up and listen to your sports talk radio show while I made myself breakfast because I missed college um and that felt like a a, a charmingly um organic connection to hear you talk about whatever was on your mind often very obscure topics there were some deep cuts on that sports talk show. yes
1: um <laughs> Yeah, gosh. And wow, you weren't even working at UPS at that point. I was right? not.
0: I was living in a different part of the state. I had a different job. You were my, my last remaining Jeez, connection.
1: That's crazy.
0: A lot of pressure.
1: Well, I, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> no, but it's funny you say that because um, so I would go straight from the studio to the deli because my sub shift at the deli started at 9 a.m.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then sometimes people, are people
0: buying sandwiches at 9 a.m.
1: Well, you know, you gotta like stock the turkey slices.
0: Right, sure. You gotta slice the tomatoes and stuff.
1: No, exactly. exactly. You can't be doing
0: that on the fly.
1: No, yeah. I mean if you try and do that when the the rush is coming, you're you're done for it. Um <laughs> No, but it's funny because sometimes people would come up and like recognize my voice and say, oh, I just listened to you on like, or I have KUPS as my alarm. So I wake up to your voice on Friday. (laughs) Um, Great, I guess. (laughs) I I never knew what to say in those um, instances. Um, But yeah, we did cover a lot of different topics. Um, We had a... We ran a very fun Twitter account also, (laughs) where we had polls based on some of the debates we had. Um, So one one hot topic we would discuss frequently is cream cheese. I'm very anti-cream cheese. You Uh, are? I'm very anti-cream cheese, yeah. Why? Well, I mean, first off, have you ever thought about, like, sour cement?
0: I cannot say that I have.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I think about when I think of cream cheese, because it has mm. like the texture of cement and it's Sure, sour. it's
0: spreadable. Well, okay.
1: Plenty of pesto is spreadable, but pesto yeah. doesn't have the texture of cement.
0: Concrete, maybe.
1: Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Although, I what's the difference between concrete and cement?
0: I don't know. I think that's a thing that some... Um... So I'll tell a brief sidebar story. A girl on my high school across team's dad was an engineer. Okay. And a very mild-mannered fellow. Um, and he one time, I don't remember what was going on, but somehow a group of us were sitting around on the sidewalk, probably waiting for a ride, and he was standing there. And somebody said, boy, this concrete, whatever, 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 you know, is cold. And he said, oh, Really? grinds my gears when people say concrete and they mean cement.
1: Oh, geez. So
0: evidently there's a, a subset of the population for whom the distinction really is, yeah. really does matter, but not me. I don't know what it is.
1: Well, I hope none of them are listening to this podcast.
0: Well, if they are, they can um, write in. We don't have a Twitter, but they can email me <laughs> and yeah. then let me know.
1: Yeah. Okay. Forward any, um, yeah. Any comments to me also, because it's really my fault here. Yeah, I'll um, let you
0: in. But so you don't like cream cheese. You think it's I, sour I,
1: I do. Um, and so we would put Twitter polls up and people would retweet them. And at one point it got to the point that Elijah Maguire, the fourth string running back for the New York Jets, followed the KFS yeah. sports <laughs> show Twitter. So you never know what will happen.
0: What a brush with fame. Really, truly. Uh speaking of deep cuts tell me about the history club
1: history club um
0: you're a founding member
1: yes one of two founders um the other is um my friend justin Loy, who was actually my passage back in the day he was my i was his orientation leader and then we became great pals and now we're he's one of my top best friends in the whole world um (laughs) Basically, uh, the premise was that um, we would run like bar style trivia. um, Obviously, without the, not in a bar, usually in (laughs) YF109. And um, Justin's very into thrift shops. And so we would um, sometimes buy like a, a sweater from Value Village or something. Um, and have that as the prize. And uh, anybody
0: could come to this, right? It was open to the pub. Well, the campus community.
1: Yes, it was. We had, um, let's see, we went to log Jam and got way more signatures than we ever could have expected.
0: And again, for folks listening, Logjam is like a club fest at the beginning of the year. You walk around, put your email on lists for stuff you think you might want to do, um, and then 80% of the time when you get those emails saying come to the history club meeting, you um, ignore it because you have other stuff to do and you signed up in a flight of fancy. Uh, but this took off for you, right?
1: It did somewhat. Um, yeah, that first semester, we, um, we sort of grew a small community. Um, we would write very wacky emails with hidden hints. Um, <laughs> And actually, it's funny you bring up the, the fact that 80 percent of people on email lists never show up, because at History Club Formal, which was a, um, like a fraternity-style formal event that was held at my house, uh, we had an award ceremony <laughs> in which every person on the email list who never showed up to anything was nominated for um, the Perfect Attendance Award. <laughs> and we only gave it to one person. Uh, who was not in fact there. So um, I don't know if that certificate was ever collected, honestly. Um,
0: Sure. It might still be under the couch cushions in that house.
1: Honestly, yeah. I mean, that that house has now been turned into something of a music venue. So I'm not... No. um, Perhaps someone will pick it out at a concert five years down the line. (laughs) Um, But anyway, it was... It was such a neat club because uh, Justin and I, we were good friends, but we also sort of had different friend circles outside Mm -hmm. of one another. So we were able to draw from um, sort of very unique parts of campus. Um, And, you know, that formal event was probably like 20 people from first years to seniors, uh, each at completely different parts of their college careers, sort of uniting over. Um, very silly trivia. Um, <laughs> so, you know that that was a a real sort of heartwarming aspect of my senior year. And now, um, the some of the first years who we got to join that year are now running it, um, and I'm still on the email list, and they're just <laughs> as wacky in their emails. Um, so it's it's really cool.
0: And from what I understand. This was sort of after my time, but um, this was really elevated trivia. like y- you've shared some of the questions with me before, and they are not um shall we say pedestrian trivia questions.
1: Yeah, you could say that um so part but part of it is that they built on each other, so sure. for example, every week we had uh, at least one question about. Um, the sort of cringy 1980s singer-songwriter Chris De DeBerg. Chris De DeBerg. Uh, his, his most famous hit is Lady in Red.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, so like, you know, sort of a weird song. Yeah. We could say.
0: But, I don't think I've ever heard the original recording of that. I think I've only heard people belt out the Lady in Red part spontaneously and off key.
1: When? What just? At what, what, what gatherings do you go to in which people do that?
0: I would say that these are um, after-hours social functions. I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> where, where I've observed this kind of behavior.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, anyway. So every week there was a question relating to that. And so all our regular members like, had pretty much memorized Christa Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, by the end of the year, Jester and I were really struggling to find facts that weren't already known. Um, so I think because of that, if one showed up to one of these events without knowing sort of how they worked and without being on the email list and understanding all that was happening, it could be, um, pretty daunting,
0: and I believe that that happened, right? An enterprising reporter from the campus newspaper the trail showed up
1: yes, that's correct. Um, we did have someone from the trail come with <laughs> two of their friends um, and they did very poorly and <laughs> then interviewed their friends about why they did poorly. None of them were regulars, and then um wrote sort of a I don't know if harsh is the right word but a, a scathing review of the club um, mm-hmm. in which they claimed that Justin and I um like gave demeaning looks at people when they didn't know <laughs> the answers um I truly it was one of the sh- more shocking experiences of my my UPS career um, <laughs> Who knew? I I didn't know the trail did reviews of clubs.
0: (laughs) Well, to my knowledge, the trail did not. (laughs) But perhaps History Club just gained enough momentum that it felt like breaking news.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know. It's sort of like, well, you know, well, hmm. it's like Tiger King. You know, with these crazes that pass through, someone's always... Everyone's got to have an opinion. Sure. Um, you,
0: you told me once that you like cut that article out of the trail and kept it.
1: I believe I did, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we were fired up. Sure. Um, I had a, a shirt um, that was given to me by uh, John Lear, a professor in the history mm-hmm. department from the Washington State Historical Society that said, history is not for wimps. And from then on, I taped... piece of paper that said club next to history so then it said (laughs) history club is not for wimps um so yeah gosh that was honestly one of the the highlights of my ups career that entire history club ordeal
0: if we um conclude every episode by asking everybody the same four questions. The first one of those questions is what's your favorite place on campus?
1: Ooh, Um, probably the library. Um, There's a particular chair in the library in which I sat for probably three quarters of my entire college career. Um, (laughs) And I I went back to UPS last May for graduation and I went in the library and sat in that chair for a few minutes by myself with nothing to do just to reminisce. So definitely the library.
0: What are you reading right now?
1: Oh gosh. I read so much for school that I try and do everything possible to not read outside of school. (laughs) Um, Yesterday though, I read a book called, um, the Carnival of Revolution, which is about um, this movement in Poland in 1988-89, in which um, political protesters dressed up as orange dwarves and ran around the streets. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of highlighted the silliness of police repression of political protest because they were carrying around like signs for like, free the dwarves, Yada, yada, yada. And then they were getting hauled off and arrested. So I was reading about that.
0: What's the best place to eat in Tacoma?
1: Um, I would pr- probably say, for my money, silk tie. Although... you um, know, m- So my mom loves Gateway to India for whatever reason. I think we've been uh-huh. there once. <laughs> it's a good restaurant. It's fine. But like my mom still talks about gateway to India. So in honor of her, I'll say gateway to India.
0: <laughs> and to conclude, uh, Nick, last question. Why is Puget Sound special?
1: Um, yeah, I think this is sort of tying back to things we discussed earlier, but the, the opportunity to have an analyst to be involved in five different things, none of which are remotely connected to one another, um, but all of whom are run by really interesting people who um, want to know themselves and want to know other people as well.
0: Nick Kolaviak, thanks for joining me on the Puget Sound Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Elena. It's been a blast.
0: Thanks for listening to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at univ, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for P.S., the Puget Sound podcast.